0: You're listening to The Scrimmage, with Daniel Hargrove and Justin now. Daniel.
1: Daniel, come on. Okay, I'll do this part for you. Yeah, Monday! Good morning, and welcome to the scrimmage. Whether you're listening on Monday or any other day of the week, thanks for making us part of your day. I am your host, Justin Domasiewicz. I've got my co-host, Daniel Hargrove, here with me. Although, right now, he is sitting in the corner, pouting... Because he hates the NBA, because the Blazers lost to the Lakers, because somehow, according to him, the Lakers get all the calls, or the Lakers cheated, or whatever. He's just mad, and he's he's protesting this show. I've also got my trusty producer, Andrew Gross, here with me, but at the moment, he's having some technical difficulties with his microphone, so we'll have to see if we can get those sorted out, that way my voice is not the only one that you hear today. For now, let's get things started with the two-minute drill. Let's go, let's go, let's go, huddle up! You gotta hurry, gotta hurry, gotta hurry.
0: Hey, two-minute situation. 44 seconds, handle all ball around. Gun do it right, gun do it right. Three jet, Buckeye, on worry. Three. The two-minute drill starts now.
1: Daniel. Daniel, come on, you can at least read the questions. All right, fine, fine, I will do it. The Seattle Mariners traded starting pitcher Taiwan Walker last week for cash and a player to be named later. Justin, do you like this trade? Well, that's a good question, Justin, and also very well asked. And normally, it would be Daniel who's probably answering this question, but I will take this uh, for the team here. I'm going to say I think this trade makes sense with what the Mariners are doing. Uh, I did a little research on who this player to be named later, quote-unquote, might be, and it sounds like there might be some really good prospects in the system uh, that are on the left side of the infield which is a place that the Mariners might be looking to create some depth with deep prospects. Taiwan Walker doesn't really fit the timeline of what the Mariners are trying to do so I do understand this. It is difficult as a Mariners fan to see when sometimes guys step in and they play well then all of a sudden they're gone and that is difficult to deal with but I do think for what the Mariners are trying to do this was the right move. Fox Sports' Chris Broussard said on Tuesday that it's time for the Portland Trail Blazers to move on from head coach Terry Stotts because the Blazers need to run a less ball-dominant offense. Justin, do you agree with Broussard? No, I do not, at least for the reason that he chose, like if he had come out and said the Blazers need to move on from Terry's thoughts because, because they have one of the least efficient defenses in the NBA or because their stars play way too many minutes or anything like that, then maybe I could at least understand his argument. But the second most efficient offense this season, fourth most efficient offense last season were the Blazers. This seat feels completely ridiculous for him to try to use this comparison and he's trying to compare them to the Golden State Warriors and how the Warriors switched to Steve Kerr. But right now, the Blazers' offense is working really well with the pieces that they have. What they need to do is add depth and hope everybody on the roster doesn't get injured next year like they did last year. Amidst injuries in their receiving core, the Seattle Seahawks signed their own former second-round pick, Paul Richardson, who spent the last two seasons playing for Washington. How does Richardson fit in with the current group? Well, I think Richardson fits in with the current group as a way to add depth, maybe compete for that three spot. A lot of people thought probably Philip Dorsett would be the three receiver but he's been dealing with a foot issue that seems to be lingering and it's bothering him for a long time. So with the season coming up just right around the corner and another injury issue with John Ursua, it looked like the Mariners, or the Mariners? No, the Seahawks were going to need to add some depth to the receiving core anyway. So I think this is a good move, a guy that should be able to just jump right in. And his last season in Seattle, he was really productive, 44 catches, 703 yards, and six touchdowns in 2017. So I am glad to see Paul Richardson come back. Although, in a few weeks, if the Seahawks manage to sign Josh Gordon, if John Ursua comes back, I'm not sure there'll be a ton of need for him, but I'm glad that he is added to the death chart. After the Philadelphia 76ers were swept out of the playoffs in the first round by the Boston Celtics, Sixers coach Brett Brown was promptly fired. Philly has a very talented roster, Justin, who should be its next head coach. Well, I've seen a lot of rumors floating out there. There was a few names. The, most, the ones that jumped out at me most were Ty Lu and Jason Kidd. Now to me, I'm not sure about as a coach because his success has only been kind of medium, but Jason Kidd makes a ton of sense for a guy that would have an opportunity to come in and coach Ben Simmons. Now I'm not saying that he could turn him into the greatest three-point shooter of all time or even a good three-point shooter, but early in Jason Kidd's career, he managed to be a great player without shooting threes. I think he could help Ben Simmons become the kind of player that he wanted to be. Also, Jason Kidd is a guy who developed an outside shot through the course of his career. So maybe he can at least help Ben Simmons with some confidence. He could get in there. He's got a lot of coaching experience. I imagine he would be able to jump in and help that team be successful right away. Please enjoy this clip from a previous episode of The Scrimmage. Now before we move on to Stump Daniel, I think we should address the way the show opened. (laughs) we're gonna let people behind the curtain for a minute because what happened was (laughs) we're getting ready to record the show and daniel sits down and he goes all right guys let's do this quick i gotta poop and we were like well this might take a couple of hours do you just want to go poop now and he said no because i don't have my phone and just to let people behind the curtain like i just said andrew got a weird notification on his phone that's my camera well, Daniel's phone is Daniel's camera, and he didn't want to unhook it because Andrew had gone all, gone through this whole process to set it up, Yeah. but instead <laughs> of just going to poop before we recorded without his phone, no. Daniel has opted to hold it yes. the entire time we record this podcast <laughs> so he can have his phone back to go to the bathroom. Welcome back, and thank you for joining us on The Scrimmage, which is brought to you by Olypen Real Estate and the Law Office of Jeffrey A. Damashevitz. The segment that would be coming up now typically is Stump Daniel. Now, that might be a little bit difficult because Daniel is still sitting in a corner, pouting and protesting the show. And I just realized I probably didn't do a very good job of explaining it, in the beginning, during the intro, I just said that he was pouting because he hates the NBA. And while that's true, it doesn't really tell the whole story. So, Daniel, do you want to have a chance to elaborate on that? At least, at least, even if you don't participate in the rest of the show, just tell people why you're upset. He's just looking at me. Just, just, this is your opportunity. Just, why do you hate the NBA right now? Nothing. Okay. This is going to be fun. So, In order to fully explain this... Andrew, did you have anything you want to add? Alright, Andrew's lips are moving, but his microphone's not working, so we've got nothing from him either. I'm going to just pick up the ball and go with it. In order to make Daniel's feelings known, I thought the best thing to do would be go back to the root of the problem. The root of the problem was we were watching game... with separate places, but we have a group chat that we always text with each other. We're watching game four of the Blazers-Lakers series. And the Bla- if, in case you didn't catch what happened, the Blazers are the 8 seed, the Lakers are the 1 seed. The Blazers come out right off the bat. They win game one. Everybody's freaking out. Oh, man, this could be the, t- the team that takes down the, the Blazers, or the Lakers. And all of a sudden, the wheels kind of fall off. The Blazers get tired. In game two, they just get completely housed. Um, Damian Lillard dislocates his finger. And uh, everything kind of goes downhill for the Blazers at that point. The next game, it's close. Lakers pull away at the end. Blazers run out of steam, which I think is the overwhelming theme of this series was that the Blazers just got tired. They don't have the depth that the Lakers do. Um, And probably top-end talent Anthony Davis and LeBron James would be hard for anybody to deal with. But we get into game four. So you're the Blazers, you're down 2-1. Thinking, we still have a chance, but if we lose this game, we're toast. If we lose game four, we go down 3-1, we have to beat the Lakers three times in a row with the depth issues and the fatigue issues that we're having. Doesn't seem likely. So you have to put yourself in Daniel's shoes here. He admitted he was watching this game through his fan filter. This was later after he had calmed down. But some of the things he said... In our group chat, we'll let you know why he is sitting out this show to protest the NBA. Here's one text. CJ is getting hammered every time. Then they will call that weak stuff on the board. CJ getting rookie treatment from the refs. Now, there is some credence to this because in that game, there were several times where CJ tried to go to the basket And there were several times where there was something that was either a foul or borderline a foul, and he wasn't getting the calls. What I told Daniel is I had been watching not just almost the whole game, and he kind of came in in the third quarter. I had been watching almost the whole, not only the almost the whole game, but almost the whole series. I watched pretty much all of it. This shifted to NBA playoff mode. They were not calling most of the stuff on drives to the basket. If it was really obvious they were calling it, but you know there was plenty of times where Anthony Davis wanted a call or LeBron James wanted a call on a drive, and they just weren't getting him. So when the Blazers, and and this happened with Lillard too, there were several times where he drove to the basket, thought he could have gotten a call, didn't get the call. But it wasn't because they were picking on the Blazers or they were picking on CJ. It was just that's the way they were calling the game. Now, as his feelings start to progress, as Daniel's feelings start to progress, this is when the game starts to get really out of control. Blazers are probably losing by about, I don't know, 25 or so at this point. Daniel says, I hate the NBA. Why did I get so involved in liking the Blazers when this league is trash? Now, I do have something I want to address there. Because part of his argument is... Valid, and part of it is not. You know, he goes into this spiel about how LeBron can complain as much as he wants, which he did a lot, and not get teed up. But then, you know, Melo gets teed up. And there's a play where Dwight Howard grabs CJ's arm when he's on his way to the basket and there's no call. But then LeBron James. Uh, gets a call on the other end. And that kind of stuff was happening here and there if you want to pick little sample sizes in individual plays. That's true. But what I would say, the, the NBA needs to address. I'm going to support Daniel for a minute here because although he was being a big baby. What I will support him in is the overselling of calls is a problem that needs to be addressed in some way. Basically, it, to me it's a different category than flopping. Daniel, would you agree that overselling of calls is a, is a category of separate from flopping? Still not speaking. Andrew, you got anything on this? Okay, he wants to talk, but we still can't hear him. Okay, so I'm just going to go into this. There was a play specifically that Daniel got really mad about where something happened on one end, LeBron got upset, He was wrong anyway, but he kept complaining to the officials and he went really overboard complaining forever to the officials to the point that his team, which it ends up going to the coach, his team got a technical foul call for delay of game because LeBron just wouldn't stop complaining. Then they go down to the other end and LeBron seemingly is upset and he's being guarded off ball by Gary Trent. Now, Gary Trent, in case you don't know, um, he's a wing for the Blazers. He's only a few inches shorter than LeBron, but when they stand next to each other, Gary Trent kind of looks like a child. He's a lot smaller. So there's a play where Gary Trent is trying to back LeBron out of the paint. He backs into him. He pushes him with his arm. It's a foul, but you couldn't convince me, and you couldn't convince Daniel either, that LeBron James would have fallen over from that kind of contact from Gary Trent. LeBron sells the foul, sells the push, Foul, falls over, gets the call. This set Daniel off through the roof. But that's kind of what I'm talking about. There's a difference between selling a foul and flat-out flopping. And guys do both, and LeBron has done both. You could go Google some gifs of LeBron and get some pretty funny LeBron flopping gifs. But I think more what more often happens with NBA players in general, but with LeBron specifically, is... He he has spent so much of his career being a big, strong tank that can drive in through contact, go up to the basket, and not really be affected by all the times that he gets hammered. This is not a new story. This is something that's been happening since the beginning of his career. He's a big, strong dude, especially probably around year three or so when he really filled out. He just doesn't get affected by contact the, the same way that other people do. So when he goes in, he gets the contact, he has to sell the call. Otherwise, he doesn't get it. That's the issue that the NBA needs to address. They need to figure out a way. Maybe it's impossible. I don't know. But they need to figure out a way that officials can call fouls more accurately without players having to throw themselves on the ground. Because you couldn't convince me that LeBron wants to throw himself on the ground. I don't think he does. I think that LeBron wants to go up through the contact, and make the shot, and get the foul call. But he can't do that. And as LeBron's career has progressed, he seems more and more to care about how he can affect and manipulate the way the officials call the game. So another thing that Daniel has noticed and that I have noticed is that almost every game, there's a point where LeBron goes down because he thinks he was fouled or he was fouled on a drive to the basket, And then he gets up from that, and instead of going back to play defense, he sits on the ground for a minute, complains to the officials, and then complains to the officials on his way back. And there's been multiple times since the bubble started that I've been watching a game and I've noticed, oh, the other team has a five on four. Well, guess what? The other team notices it almost every time, too, and they end up getting an open shot. But LeBron's not stupid. LeBron's not saying, I'm going to give up a basket just to give up a basket. LeBron believes that if he continuously talks to the officials, and if he continuously sells foul calls, that by the end of the game, the way they officiate, it's going to be different. So it's a strategy to him. Whether you consider it a right or wrong strategy, it's the strategy that he's been forced into Because the NBA officials have not figured out a way or the NBA hasn't figured out a way to get its officials to call things correctly the first time. I heard a little bit of Jeff Van Gundy on a broadcast the other day kind of addressing this like, hey, this is an issue. The NBA needs to figure out how to make it so players don't have to do this anymore. And that is 100% my belief. There are floppers out there, there are people who flop, but selling a call is something that happens in the NBA. Now, Daniel, have I persuaded you with this argument that it's not just LeBron being a baby, it's not just LeBron deciding that he's going to unfairly manipulate the game. This is a strategy by LeBron James that's been forced on him by the NBA because of the way he's been officiated over the last several years. Do you believe that? Still nothing. He's been in the NBA 17 years. You don't believe he might have picked up a few tricks here and there about the best way to get games officiated? Okay, Daniel's not hes not giving me anything. So I think I'm going to move on from this particular topic. And I'm going to move into what's usually my favorite segment, Stump Daniel. Now, I don't have Daniel really. I mean, he's here sitting in a corner pouting and mostly just glaring at me. But has refused to speak up to this point. So I'm, I'm just going to go into what I have thought was something that really snuck up on me. Which is the NFL season. Did you know that the NFL season starts in like a week and a half? Well, I was reminded of that about a week ago. And that was really the first time I thought about it. But it's interesting because it means I haven't thought about fantasy football at all. So what I'm hoping, and I was going to have Daniel participate in this. But since he's not, I'm just going to let you guys play this game wherever you're listening from, I want you to play this game, okay? I'm going to look at the rankings and I'm going to ask you a couple specific questions about where some players will be ranked positionally in fantasy football this season. Now, we play our fantasy sports on Yahoo mostly, so I've got Yahoo projections in front of me. Who do the Yahoo Sports expert think are going to be the best players? What are the rankings by position? So I'm going to start at quarterback. And I want you to guess who is going to be, according to Yahoo Fantasy Sports, who's going to be the top-ranked quarterback in fantasy football this year. This one surprised me a little bit. I'm going to give you a couple seconds, and I'm going to eliminate a few. It is not Russell Wilson. It is not Lamar Jackson. That's a guy I probably would have picked. It's actually Patrick Mahomes. Now, I think just the addition of having the rushing threat in add that to what Lamar Jackson did last year in the passing game, I would have thought he would be the top choice, but he wasn't. Yahoo has Patrick Mahomes as the top quarterback. Now, it goes Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson is second. Could anybody guess where you would find Russell Wilson on that list? How far down the list do you have to go to find Russell Wilson? You got your answer? Locked in? Number four. So it goes Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, you got Russell Wilson at four. Now try to think of what player might be shimmied in there in the three spot because I actually thought Russell would be a clear cut three personally. But think about what player might be there. There's a few different options for what it could be. I'll give you a couple seconds. It's an NFC player. The answer is Dak Prescott. I thought Russ would be a better option, and I don't think many people would be arguing that Dak is a better quarterback than Russ. He is definitely not. Wilson has finally got to the point in his career where he's recognized as a top-tier quarterback. If people don't have him in the top two, they have him in the top three. Most analysts either go Mahomes, Wilson, or Mahomes, some people might say Jackson, which I don't agree with, and then Wilson. Wilson. But you got Dak Prescott shimmied in there in the three spot, which the only explanation I can think of is more weapons in Dallas and a more wide-open offense is going to give him more opportunities to throw for a lot of stats. The counter I would have to that is the the Seahawks and Russell both have already expressed a desire to do things in a more up-tempo way on offense from the beginning this year because the Seahawks' offense is always best in like close end-of-game situations, two-minute drill, when they start really moving, then they're they're most efficient. So Russ wants to do that from the beginning. Pete Carroll uh, is also open to doing that from the beginning. So I think this could be an opportunity for Russ to rack up a bunch of stats this season. But we're going to move on to wide receivers. This is one, I think, especially since this is a PPR league, which I feel like most, at this point, most leagues are PPR. Um, This is a PPR ranking, and the first wide receiver feels really obvious to me. It's Michael Thomas from New Orleans. The next one, that's where it gets a little interesting, because you have kind of a mix of guys. You know, you've got Tyreek Hill from Kansas City. You've got uh, Chris Godwin with Tom Brady there in Tampa Bay. You've got DeAndre Hopkins. How is he going to transition with his move to Arizona? And uh, having uh, now sophomore quarterback throwing him the ball, but someone who's who's Kyler Murray who had a really good rookie season. Um, I think it's interesting to see the way that they ranked these guys. And I also thought that the spot they had Tyler Lockett in is kind of interesting. So think to yourself who, who you think is the most likely second-ranked receiver. I'll give you a couple seconds here. It is an AFC receiver. It is Tyreek Hill. So the second receiver, I guess they assume because they have He has a Super Bowl champion, Super Bowl MVP quarterback Patrick Mahomes throwing to him. Tyreek Hill will be able to stay on the field, and he'll rack up the second-most stats among receivers. They've got Odell Beckham ranked third, Chris Godwin ranked fourth, and DeAndre Hopkins rounding out the top five. Now, I thought it was interesting where Lockett uh, got ranked here. We're in the Pacific Northwest. Our players for the Seahawks, Mariners, Uh, Blazers, whatever it is, tend to kind of get overlooked nationally for a while. And we've gotten to a point where it appears that Tyler Lockett is starting to get some actual recognition for what he does consistently on the field. And Tyler Lockett is actually ranked seventh of all receivers you only have to go one further down from DeAndre Hopkins past Kenny Galladay from Detroit to get to Tyler Lockett ranked seventh among receivers so it's nice to see Lockett be able to get into that spot now we're going to do only one more category here since we don't have Daniel we're going to keep stump Daniel on the short side we're going to go into running backs now I thought this was interesting as well because the person who is ranked number one is not the guy who I thought it would be I'm just going to tell you who I thought it would be. I thought it would be Christian McCaffrey. Because, especially in a PPR league, you have, you have a guy who catches a buttload of passes. He just signed a massive contract. He's get, He gets rushing yards. He gets receiving yards. He feels like he should be the guy who's going to rack up points for you. But who do you think Yahoo has ranked ahead of him? I'm going to give you a second. And it is an NFC running back. What NFC running back do you think Yahoo has ranked ahead of Christian McCaffrey? It is Saquon Barkley, which I thought was really interesting. He was dealing with an injury last year, but Yahoo thinks Saquon Barkley is going to come in and become the number one fantasy running back. Now, you might wonder where Derrick Henry is on this list. He had a monster year last year, but a kind of year that might be sort of difficult for him to repeat. Derrick Henry is third on the list. Now, since we've done the Seahawks theme about where is your Seahawks player you have to go all the way down to number 18 to get to Chris Carson and I'm not sure all of what made guys like Austin Eckler and Todd Gurley and a pair of rookies in Clyde Edwards Hilaire and Jonathan Taylor be ranked ahead of him I don't know why all those people are ranked ahead of him, but I can only assume it's because Carson has had a really difficult time staying on the field all season. And uh, also the addition of Carlos Hyde to the Seahawks backfield maybe puts a little more doubt on how those carries are going to be split up. You have to go all the way down to 18 to get to Chris Carson. So that is the abbreviated version of Stump Daniel without any participation from Daniel. But this edition of Stump Daniel is brought to you by the law offices of Jeffrey A. Damashevitz. We do have still some more good topics to talk about. We've got a, a Seahawks wide receiver topic. I've got a guest coming on to talk to me a little bit more about basketball with the Blazers and the Lakers. And we have an Ole Penn real estate athlete of the week coming up. Maybe I can get Daniel to participate in the next segment. We'll see. But for right now, listen to this commercial. Do you have a legal situation and need someone on your side? Let the law office of Jeffrey A. Damashevitz be your advocate. If you've been the victim of medical malpractice, suffered a personal injury, or need representation with real estate law, small business law, or estate planning, let Jeff Domashevitz put his 29 years of experience to work for you. Call Jeff Damashevitz today at 360-612-3991 or visit damashevitzlaw.com That's D-A-M-A-S-I-E-W-I-C-Z-L-A-W.com. Please enjoy this clip from a previous episode of the scrimmage. What did we do before we had cell phones? I didn't. This is. I'm I'll tell you to what remember. I did. Go ahead. I, I read com- the the newspaper comics. Okay. That's what I Did so you I, poop once a week, like th- Sunday Sunday funnies? No, there's funnies every day. It's just not as many. okay. Yeah, so there's funnies every day. So I would bring like... (laughs) Justin, didn't you write for the paper? (laughs) Yeah. I wrote... (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Good point. I should have known that. I should have known that. I apologize. Yeah. Yeah, so Sunday funnies were a big thing. We also... We used to buy my dad... Dilbert like comic books yeah and we generally would stash those oh, in the bathroom. those were back in the days when people used to read books yeah I remember now because <laughs> before up to this point I was going what did I used to do when I while I pooped Andrew. before I had a phone <laughs> and Andrew I was like snorted. oh yeah when I was a kid I did used to read books I forgot books existed <laughs> And welcome back to The Scrimmage. I'm Justin Damashevitz. My co-host, Daniel Hargrove, is sitting in the corner, still pouting, still refusing to participate in the show. And our trusty producer, Andrew Gross, is having technical difficulties. Andrew, did you get that microphone fixed yet? Nope, still nothing from Andrew. Okay, he's waving at me frantically, but we can't get anything from him. So I brought in a special guest to help me with the next segment, which is the Olypen Real Estate Athlete of the Week. This special guest that I've brought in will be able to give great insight into our Athlete of the Week because he has played baseball with him and against him before in Little League. So please welcome to the scrimmage for the first time. I don't know why I said that. Like like, People can't give you a round of applause over a podcast. In your car right now, if you're listening to the podcast, give Peyton Domashevitz, my son, a round of applause. No, I was serious. I want you to give him a round of applause. Thank you. Thank you for participating. Okay, now we are technically about a week late on this because this game happened last Saturday, but the Peterson Rock Drillers won Montesano Little League Juniors Division Championship with a 12-3 victory led by their starting pitcher, Skylar Bovee. So this this week's Ole Pen Real Estate Athlete of the Week is Skylar Bovee for what he did last Actually, I think it was Friday. Last Friday, we were at this game, so a lot of this I'm just remembering off the top of my head. But Skyler Bovey for the Peterson Rock Drillers, after what was kind of a shaky first inning with some walks and some errors as well that led to three unearned runs being scored, and the Drillers were down 3-1 to one almost right off the bat, Skyler settled down. He trusted his defense as... His head coach, Steve Bovee, who you have played for, Peyton, um, pointed out to me that he really trusted his defense. We focused really hard on making sure that he just threw strikes and that he didn't feel like he had to do it on his own, and his defense came through for him. Skylar, after that first inning, pitched five scoreless. He threw 88 pitches in the game, had six strikeouts, only allowed four hits, and all three runs were unearned. Also at the plate, Skyler had three walks, and three runs scored, but when he actually got to hit swing the bat, he was one for one with a double that went all the way to the fence. So, and I think it was a, I think it was an RBI double as well. But anyway, he had a double that was just a rocket shot at Vessie Field, which is a full-size high school field. It went all the way out to the fence. So I guess, let's start with this, Peyton. You were at the game. Uh, what did you think about Skyler's performance that made him
0: so unstoppable that made him pitch so well for that last five innings. I mean, he was throwing a lot of strikes and like hitting the good spots in the strike zone to where it's hard to hit it and get a good read on it. Mhm. Absolutely That's what I the most.
1: Yeah. I, that was probably the biggest thing, you know, not only just throwing strikes strikes but locating strikes, uh, managing to keep the ball down in the zone. That's one thing we focused on with our pitchers a lot. Um so Peyton, you know Skyler pretty well. Why did you smile like that? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. So you know Skyler pretty well. You've played a lot of sports with him. Um, you know, we've been on the same team as Skyler a few times. And we've also been opposing Skyler a few times. So do you, can you remember anything back from when you were a hitter in Little League
0: playing against Skyler? I remember that I would hate it when he would throw curveballs, even though you could always tell that he did it because he did that thing in his glove or would like put his elbow up. Uh huh. But I just couldn't hit it anyways, <laughs> even though I knew it was coming. Yeah. I hated that.
1: So from a young age, Skyler's been able to throw, I guess it's a Little League curve. What do we call it? The, uh, it? the McGillicuddy? McGillicuddy. So it's a curve ball that doesn't require you to snap your wrist sideways, so it doesn't put extra torque on the parts of your arm that it's bad for Little Leaguers to throw. But Skyler has, as long as I can remember, like maybe even...
0: He's always had some kind of off-speed. Yeah, in like the e- pocket.
1: even when he was like maybe 10 or so. Yeah. I think he's been able to throw a changeup. He developed, um, in addition to the changeup, he's got the cutty and he's got two different kinds of fastballs a two seam and a four seam. Um, when Peyton, when you were younger, you played on all star teams with Skyler, and I got to coach one of them. That was really fun. That would have been the 11 year old year. Yeah. And you guys finished in second. Um, do you remember much from
0: that tournament or what was fun about it? I remember it was nice to be all as a team with like the people you know really well. Yeah. And also, that it was nice that we were doing really well and spirits were high and stuff. Pitchers were pitching well, fielders were fielding well. It was just all going pretty good.
1: Yeah. And I know uh, just from all the time, full disclosure, I've known Skylar Bovey for a really long time. Um, his dad, Steve, who's also the coach, is a good friend of mine. Um, Steve said Skylar had his best performance of the season in this championship. But I've really enjoyed getting a chance to know Skyler um, over the last several years and not only being able to see how he's developed as an athlete, because in addition to being um, a pitcher and a good hitter on their baseball team and he plays lots of travel ball, um, he also has been the quarterback or one of the quarterbacks on the football team since third grade or so yeah yeah well that's when that's when Peyton started playing was in third grade, and Skyler's always and actually, I think that he played quarterback on their flag football team when he was like five, but we weren't we weren't there for that, but uh it's been really really fun to watch Skyler's development and see how he was able to get to this point as as an athlete to where you know he can be the guy, he can be the pitcher. You can throw him out on the mound and know that he can respond to the pressure. So, do you, do you Peyton, have any funny Skylar Bovey stories? Anything you'd like to share?
0: Oh, let's see if I can think of a good one here. Not really off the top of my head, <laughs> but I'm sure if I had more time, I could think of something. Oh, there's,
1: of I'm sure there's lots of good Skylar Bovey stories. I probably have some, too probably some he'd be embarrassed if I shared so and that's all probably what you're thinking too yeah you don't want to share anything embarrassing okay well i'll i'll just say we'll wrap up this segment um skylar bovee congratulations you led your team to the championship not only on the mound but also at the plate uh, you are the oli Penn real estate athlete of the week not historical this week because we have real sports that happened so you are the oli Penn real estate athlete of the week skylar bovee congratulations And since I have Peyton here, I thought we would talk about one of the things that we sort of tend to talk about just in our own normal everyday lives, which is basketball. Which is the NBA basketball. We had the privilege of watching LeBron James and the Lakers knock the Blazers out of the playoffs yesterday. Peyton, how did you feel watching that?
0: I was very upset.
1: Why were you upset? I thought we were LeBron fans.
0: I like LeBron, but like you got to be loyal to a team, right? Do you? you got to be loyal to... Yeah. I mean, they didn't have Dame time or anything, but I still like the Blazers.
1: Okay, okay. Well, I... When I was watching, I kept saying I wanted to root for both teams. Am I not allowed to do that?
0: Not really quite how it works Why in the not? NBA. Why not? Well, there's no ties. They can't both win. Well, one team has to make it, one team has to lose.
1: See, what I've found is that it's good not to get too emotionally invested And if you just root for both teams, you have a win-win situation. I mean, that's kind of true. It is true. It is true. But do you think it's
0: better to be a fan of just a team? Well, I mean, you want to have a team that you can like the whole year, right? Yeah, the Lakers. You don't just want to have teams that you hate. That's true. You want to be able to like teams root for them because you actually like them.
1: Okay, so people who listen to the show regularly pretty well know, I love Dame, I love the Blazers, I also like LeBron, so going into that series, I felt pretty comfortable with whatever the result was going to be. Um, game one, Blazers come out, get the win. Peyton, what were you feeling after game one? Were you thinking, yeah, the Blazers got a real shot at this?
0: I was hoping for a seven-game series. I thought that they had a chance to pull away with it, but injury just kind of got to him pretty bad. Yeah. as The series went on when Dame had to go back to Portland and sit out the rest of those games. Uh, Collins got hurt again. It just kind of spiraled with the injuries. It was a, it was tough to beat a good Lakers team. Yeah, with the, a lot sto- of injuries. the
1: story of the playoffs was kind of the story of the whole year for the Blazers because they had um, just injuries all year. They played most of the year without Nurk until they got into the bubble. They lost Collins early. They lost Rodney Hood. Um, there was just injuries left and right. Then nothing really changes when you get into the bubble because we have Nurk and he's there, but he's still trying to work his way back into basketball shape. You lose Collins again in the playoffs, and then you lose Dame. So,
0: I think another thing people overlook is that Ariza skipped out on the bubble and he was going to be our guy on LeBron because Trent's not like as big as Ariza. It's tough for him to guard a, a guy like LeBron.
1: That's true. So Ariza being there would have made a big difference. Um, and on the other side of that, Avery Bradley being there for the Lakers probably would have made a difference because that would have been the guy that probably would have guarded Damian Lillard. But was there something that you thought of? As a difference from game one. Because game one we watched together. And you were saying after game one you were hoping for a seven game series. Well, after game one I immediately declared the Portland Trailblazers the greatest eight seed of all time. Right? So I overreacted. What did you think the difference was
0: in the next few games? I mean it wasn't all injuries. It was part of it was that in the first game... We had a really hard time scoring, but we played good defense and we made it. So we give we give the Lakers a hard time too. But in the games after that, it was a lot of AD and LeBron in the paint, just bullying them because we had guys like Trent on LeBron, mm-hmm. and he's just gonna drive to the paint every time. And even Nurk and Whiteside, who are good defenders on AD, were even having a hard time with him. So yeah, it was just tough defensively to stop such a good team for that many games.
1: That's true, and throughout all those loss, those losing efforts. You know, you had Whiteside and Nurkic in foul trouble at random times, and you're right. The Blazers were forced to play a lot of small lineups. I think there was one where were we watching, and you were like, "Who is that guarding AD?
0: Who was? I can't Wasn't remember." Wasn't like Wenyan Gabriel? Or it something? was Wenyan like?
1: Gabriel or Carmelo Anthony, yeah. or there, it was was gu- like that. there was a guy. There was from the beginning of the series. I had thought. You have a chance, if you're the Blazers, to 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 at least contain a guy like AD because you have a rim protector in Whiteside, you have a guy like Nurkic or a guy like Collins who can get out and guard him a little bit further away from the basket.
0: But it just didn't work out that way. A lot of foul trouble from the big men inside just trying to stop because like with McGee, Howard, AD, they had a lot of big man depth that the Blazers didn't, didn't really have because of injuries.
1: Okay, so here's another thing. We watched most of the games. Some people, Daniel, think the officiating was very one-sided. What was your thought? Did you think the games were fairly officiated? Do you think the, the Blazers got the bad end of that deal?
0: It seemed mostly fairly officiated. I think there were some calls that kind of worked me up against the Blazers. Like just upsetting calls in important moments at the games, but... I think for the most part, it was fairly officiated. I don't think they were trying to do anything to lean towards the Lakers.
1: So the next interesting thing is because now the Blazers' season is over. The Lakers are moving on. I would imagine with the way they played, winning those four games in a row, they're probably feeling pretty strong going into the next round. What I'm more interested in is what's going to happen next year for the Blazers because the dialogue around this team the whole time has been, well, they're an 8-seed, but they're really more like a 3-seed. So the talent that was on the floor didn't match the seed that they had. So what do you think about the success of the Blazers, knowing that basically everybody is guaranteed to come back, except for Whiteside and Mello? And Mello has already strongly insinuated he wants to come back. What do you think the prospects for this Blazers team are going into next year?
0: The way I like to look at it is look at the teams in the seed range I think we could be in. Like, I think we're better than the Thunder. I think we could beat the Rockets. I think we could beat the Nuggets. Lakers and Clippers, were, I kind of tough. So I think we could be a top three to four seed if it's all the same teams as this year, basically. And Mello was kind of added in the middle of
1: the season as as a project. How badly would you like to see Mello come back and play for the Blazers? I
0: really want him back. I think he helped us so much because he once he settled into that role of being like a support player, like he'll score some. He needs to play defense and stuff. He started doing really well with that role, and I think I'd like to see him play that role again next season.
1: Okay. Well, if I talk too much NBA, then Daniel and Andrew get mad at me. Daniel's already glaring at me from the corner. Andrew's trying to click the buzzer, but he's having more technical difficulties, so that's not working either. So I guess we'll cut our NBA segment off right here. And uh, what we're going to do now, and I'm going to tease what's happening on the other side, I'm going to give you one really great fantasy football sleeper that I'm thinking about. We have a little bit of Seahawks wide receiver talk coming up and then I'm gonna dive into the mailbag on the other side of this break but don't go away listen to this commercial the team of realtors at Olypen real estate wish you and your family good health during this stay home stay safe time their team has health and safety measures in place to protect you and everyone involved in the process if you're thinking about selling your home now is a great time there are more buyers than available homes Many homes are still receiving multiple offers and are selling for above asking price. pen Real Estate will help you put the most money possible in your pocket in less time without the hassle. Visit sellmyharborhome.com to get your home market ready. The pen team is ready to work for you. Please enjoy this clip from a previous episode of The Scrimmage.
0: Cam Chancellor had a ton of freedom and that's what enabled him to absolutely destroy receivers across the middle and gosh Gosh. (laughs) it worked yeah it did Uh, so I think I think that we are going to see Jamal Adams in that same position, in that same scheme, but I don't think that it will look the exact same. I think you're right. And especially the reason why
1: Justin's trying to cowboy another (laughs) segment just by Uh. making faces at the camera. Welcome back and thank you for listening to The Scrimmage, which is brought to you by Oli Pen Real Estate and the law office of Jeffrey A. Don Now, I promised you a fantasy football sleeper. If you're a regular listener of the show, it's not going to surprise you at all to hear this name come out of my mouth. But trust me, this is a well-researched opinion. Your sleeper is Jacksonville Jaguars quarterback, former WSU Cougar, Gardner Minshew, who has somehow been overlooked for his accomplishments as a rookie, if he had been a first round or maybe even a second round pick. Everyone would be glowing about his 3,271 passing yards, 21 touchdowns, and only six picks, including a really, really solid performance in the last week of the season, making you feel good going into next season. I think a lot of the reason why people are overlooking this is because the general media opinion seems to be that the Jaguars are going to be tanking to try to get the first overall pick in the next draft and maybe pick Trevor Lawrence. But don't sleep on Gardner Minshew and what he's able to do, not only as a quarterback on the field, as a leader, as an improviser. This guy has proven time and time again that he has the right stuff. The one big knock on Gardner Minshew is and always will be that he doesn't have elite arm level, elite arm talent, elite arm strength. So... Sometimes on the deep out routes, he struggles. He actually did really well, was one of the highest rated quarterbacks in throwing the ball 20 plus yards last season. So throwing the ball down the field, he actually has no trouble with, but because of his lack of an elite arm strength, he might have a difficult time on some of those, some of those deep out routes. But regardless, Gardner Minshew in most drafts has been falling to about the 15th round We are in Washington, so I'm not sure if he's going to fall quite that far. But if you just completely forget about quarterback, like go in hard, pick running backs, pick wide receivers, and trust that you can probably wait until at least round 10 or 12 before you have to really even think about picking Gardner Minshew. Nick Foles is out. That means there's no real competition for him there. In addition to that, Jay Gruden is on as the offensive coordinator in Jacksonville. Minshew will be bringing back mostly the same weapons that he had with his successful last season, DJ Shark, D.D. Westbrook, Leonard Fournette, Chris Conley, but Jay Gruden has led guys the likes of Andy Dalton and Kirk Cousins to multiple top 10 quarterback fantasy seasons. So in addition to good success maybe the most he might have been the best rookie last year but might have been the best rookie quarterback last year Kyler Murray was good Daniel Jones was pretty good but he turned the ball over a buttload Gardner Minshew was solid he had a couple of bad games he had some fumbling issues but 21 touchdowns to six picks and 3,200 yards even though he didn't start every single game that's pretty darn impressive, and I, I maintain that if he was a pick in the first two rounds, especially the first round, we would be celebrating what he did. Instead, he gets overlooked. I believe Gardner Minshew is a solid option. He's not probably going to be a top-five quarterback. He has a chance at being a top-ten quarterback, and if you can wait until the late rounds, you're going to get production and incredible value from Gardner Minshew in those late rounds. Here's another one I'm going to throw at you. Here's your bonus sleeper. It's not a massive sleeper, but it's kind of a sleeper. Most people who talk about the rookies at running back, if you're in a keeper league, the first two guys off the board are most likely to be Clyde Edwards Hilaire, rookie running back from Kansas City, and Jonathan Taylor, rookie running back for the Colts. It's fair. Those two guys have a really good chance to jump in, be really productive immediately. Jonathan Taylor on the ground. Edwards Hilaire, kind of a mix between ground and air. He should fit right in with what the Chiefs want to do in their passing game. But the guy to watch for, in my opinion, Rams rookie running back Cam Akers. I'm going to be looking to reach up about five spots and pick this guy up in any league that I have the opportunity to because not only is his style of being able to take contact and keep running after he takes contact, it's basically what every great NFL running back has the capability of doing, but in addition to that, he is in a situation where he's he's going to share time early, but he's the best runner in the group on his team. And and as the season as the season goes on, I project that he's gonna be. I think he's gonna be really productive in the second half of the season. So I would reach over guys like Sony Michel, uh, even Raheem Mostert, uh, or or perhaps even Melvin Gordon, maybe Leonard Fournette because he's constantly hurt, maybe David Montgomery. I will be taking a chance if I have an opportunity on Cam Akers. If Andrew were, if Andrew's microphone was working, which Andrew is your microphone working yet? Still, still, no, he's tapping it. Nope. No good. Uh, so he would be telling you JK Dobbins from Baltimore is the guy. Um, but I'm going to be reaching to get cam Akers, and I will definitely be attempting to get Gardner Minshew on every fantasy team I own. So I'm going to move on. We've got a Seahawks topic. I was really hoping that Andrew would be able to get his microphone situation figured out before this. Because I really like to get Andrews, and I'm, I've given up on Daniel. He's just sitting there, he's staring at me, he's still glaring at me. Daniel, your face is going to stick that way, if you keep making that face. I was hoping to get Andrews' input on this, but maybe he's not quite as good as, at technology as we thought he was, because this has been like almost an hour of show, and he hasn't been able to get his um, his microphone situation figured out. So I'm going to dive right into the Seahawks signing Paul Richardson. Now I think this is really interesting because a lot of people have reacted to this that it means the Seahawks are not signing Josh Gordon. Well unless some news has come out in the last couple of hours I don't think Josh Gordon has made any kind of commitment anywhere. A lot of people reacted and perhaps overreacted to a picture on his Instagram which seemed to indicate Uh, that he was interested in going to the San Francisco 49ers. Now, nobody can really sign him right now because he's still on the commissioner's exempt list and the NFL has to decide how many games he's going to be suspended before he can sign with someone. But here's how I reacted to the Paul Richardson news. I actually think it has no bearing on what's happening with Josh Gordon. Philip Dorsett has been dealing with a foot issue that Pete Carroll said... They're not really sure what the time ta- time frame on it is. He, he, it's not bad enough for him to go on the IR or the PUP list or anything like that, but it's bad enough that it's been bugging him for a while, and they're not really sure what the time frame is. John Ursua also has been dealing with injuries, so that kind of leaves the Seahawks with their two top threats. The obvious two top guys are Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. Then are we looking at David Moore? being the third guy I mean I don't think anybody wants to see that are we looking at Freddie Swain the rookie coming in and, and playing significant time at wide receiver I don't think anybody wants to see that either Paul Richardson although many people would probably consider him to be somewhat disappointing he was a Seahawks second round pick and it took him a couple years to be really much of any good but by his third season in 2017 the guy had 44 catches he had 703 yards and and six receiving touchdowns it was good enough for him to go sign I think like a 40 million don't quote me on this but I think it was like a 40 million dollar deal in Washington Um, he went there for a couple years had nothing but injury issues so the Seahawks are bringing him back I don't view this as a replacement for Josh Gordon I think the Seahawks are looking at their injury situation going oh crap Let's not put ourselves in a position where we have to put David Moore on the field any more than we did. I mean I mean if you watch the Seahawks last year, you probably don't want David Moore on the field any more than he has to be. So if you can have just while your guys are getting their injury situations figured out, Paul Richardson get on the field, you don't have to trust him for too much because if he gets hurt, hopefully by the and he is as many people have pointed out, he is kind of made of glass. He gets hurt a lot. But hopefully you can have him on the field until some of your other guys come back. Maybe you have uh, maybe you have him on the field until Philip Dorsett comes back. Maybe you have him on the field till John Ursua comes back. I have not closed the door on Josh Gordon. I caution you don't close the door on Josh Gordon. I still think there's a decent chance that the Seahawks will pick this guy up. Here's the other interesting question. Uh, this is probably at least partially a reaction to something I heard Peter King say a couple weeks ago on a sports show, still predicting that Antonio Brown is most likely or more likely to go to the Seahawks than any other team. He's just saying his gut is Antonio Brown is most likely to land with the Seahawks. Well, Brown's been suspended half a season, I think, so no one will be able to do anything with him until at least week nine. I think uh, it's possible depending on where the Seahawks are. You know, when we get to that point, are they four and four? Are they three and five? Are they decimated with injuries at the wide receiver position? While I feel the more time goes on and the more reports we hear from reporters and people close to the organization, it feels like an Antonio Brown signing is not likely. I think it's worth it to keep an eye on what the wide receiver situation is when we get to midseason, whether or not the Seahawks will consider uh, signing Antonio Brown when he's off of his suspension. So the hard part about this is, you know, going into the season. And as I mentioned, we're about a week and a half away. We don't really know what the Seahawks wide receiving core is going to look like. We know who the top two guys are. We know they have Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, but who's going to be the third guy? Who's going to be the fourth guy? Who's going to be the fifth guy? It's It'll be really interesting to see how that all shakes out and whether or not they will be able to get healthy enough to have a full receiving core out there um, during the regular season. That's probably about enough Seahawks talk for me. I uh, Daniel, you got anything you want to add? I said I wasn't going to try, but I thought I'd give him one more chance. I don't have anything from Daniel. I don't have anything from Andrew because his microphone's not working, although he's nodding at me like he just agreed with everything I said, which means a lot to me. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you very much for that. Um, But I think what we're going to do here is, man, I've I've gotten through all my topics. I got through everything I want to talk about. We have great stuff on Mailbag, but I am really enjoying these rejoins, these flashbacks to previous episodes. So I'm going to play one more for you. You listen to this and how this episode kind of spiraled out of a muck office fans should know that quote. And on the other side of this, I'm going to come out and answer some mailbag questions. Please enjoy this clip from a previous episode of The Scrimmage. I feel like I've expended two two shows worth of emotions, like two weeks worth of emotion into this show. <laughs> I can't I just can't highs and anymore lows guys. For me. You know, I've had highs and lows. <laughs> Because we were talking about the Blazers and I was super high, but then low. Because then, just talking about how emotionally exhausted they are, and then <laughs> super high talking about Jace, and then just super low talking, talking about, about that Jace. game. I fell apart <laughs> at a certain point in this. And end. you just lost. You your, I fell apart. We lost it. I did. We should probably. You were you. making faces into the camera <laughs> for the last half of the show. <laughs> Did I have a single positive
0: contribution after that? I don't think I did.
1: <laughs> well, thank you for walking through those memories f- with me from what I think was probably the most fun episode of the show that I've ever been involved in. But I really only have one segment left. I think uh, we talked Blazers today, we talked Seahawks today, we had Skylar Bovey as our Ole real estate. Uh, athlete of the week I got to slam uh, Chris Broussard Uh, I got to um, talk about who would be the next coach or who should be the next coach of the 76ers I think uh, we got we had lots of great topics and thanks for sticking with us and and even though this has been a challenging show this has been probably the most difficult show I've ever done because uh, Daniel has not participated and Andrew can't pull his head out of his butt long enough to fix his microphone and participate I've had to carry the show with the help of my 14 year old son so this has been a trying time i'm gonna i'm gonna wrap it up with something fun and light we're gonna go to mailbag andrew you have the imaging for mailbag you have the he's clicking it's not working nope okay he's shrugging at me like we don't get it so i'm just gonna sing the song the mailbag the mailbag sand us your stuff send us your stuff in a mailbag That was my rendition, recreation of Daniel's mailbag song, which is the official imaging of the mailbag. I got a couple of really good questions. I could wait until I could get participation on some of these, but I'm just going to go with it. I'm going to go for it. The first question comes from Brayden. Do the Seahawks sign a D lineman before week one? Now, Brayden sent me this question about a week ago. So a week has passed. As far as I know, no additional D lineman has been signed. Um, Everson Griffin is off the market. He's been signed. Does does Clay, If you sign Clay Matthews, does that count as a defensive lineman? I'd say he's a linebacker and an edge rusher. Um, would you qualify that? I still think there's a decent possibility that they sign someone like Clay Matthews. Either sign Clay Matthews or someone like Clay Matthews. The Jadeveon Clowney stuff is weird it feels like he's ready to not play this season but I saw a report earlier this week saying that stuff has kind of gotten weirder like not only has Clowney turned down an offer that seemed really good multiple offers that seemed really good he has in addition to um, not being able to mentally make himself lower his price from the 17 million that he wanted down to about 10 to 12 million which is probably what he's going to get at this point he has kind of gone incommunicado with his own agent the the stuff is weird i don't i don't know much about Jadevian Clowney personally or how he runs his business maybe he's getting bad advice from people but there are reports coming out that when teams were interested in Clowney and they reached out to his agent His agent couldn't even get a hold of Clowney. So maybe there's something more going on in Clowney's life where football is not really the priority. I don't know. If he wanted to play football, he'd be playing football this season. He's had multiple offers. He had a great offer from the Browns. He had a $15 million offer, or roughly that reportedly from the Seahawks at the beginning. I I don't think... The further we get into this, the more I think that situation is weird enough that there's more to it than just the football field, and the more I think the Seahawks are not likely to sign Clowney, which makes me feel like the Seahawks are probably not likely to sign any defensive lineman of note. There's not really much left out there. Maybe you get Clay Matthews, not really a defensive lineman, linebacker, and edge rusher, not really sure what he adds to you at this point but just a little bit of depth but i'm not optimistic about Clowney. i'm not optimistic about the seahawks being able to upgrade the defensive line sorry Braden. i want to give you a better question but the answer to your question but the answer is no the next question comes from francis this is actually a question that we have answered on this show before is a hot dog a sandwich will smith says yes that's good enough for me also last time we looked up the definition of hot dog or a definition of sandwich and it basically said like meats and other stuff in between two pieces of bread which if you consider a hot dog bun two separate pieces of bread then absolutely it's a sandwich. Now, Andrew made the argument last time that it's more open face. It's really one piece of bread, and the hot dog faces up. Well, I don't know about you guys, but that's not how I eat hot dogs. I eat hot dogs like a sandwich, with bread on top, bread on bottom. Hot dog is a sandwich. Daniel's not going to argue with me because he's still... Oh, he's left the room. Daniel's gone. He's not going to argue with me. Andrew wants to argue with me, but he can't because his microphone's still broken, and he's not good enough at technology to fix it. One more question everyone's checked out except for me so this seems like a perfect time to answer this question from the godfather the godfather says what sport excluding the exhilarating high stakes sport of disc golf would you dominate your fellow showmates i mean this is easy to me it's like everything like what sport would daniel and andrew have a chance beating me at like maybe a foot race outside of that i don't know I mean, who could deal with my strength and athleticism? I'd be like LeBron out there in any sport. I don't don't see any weaknesses in my game, except, you know, with, like I mentioned, maybe foot speed. But how important is foot speed in sports, really? And, you know, the Godfather wants to exclude disc golf. I'm going to include disc golf. I think I would dominate both Daniel and Andrew in disc golf as well. And, you know, I would challenge them to some of these sports, but it's just my back. You know, I'd kill to be at 100% right now. If I was, I would just crush them. I am really good at beer pong. Um, I've never played beer pong where you actually drink beer while you're doing it. But I have played a lot of beer, like not as the punishment, like you don't drink the beer because you lost a cup. But I'm good at beer pong. I'm pretty good at ping pong also. Cornhole, meh, decent basically any other sport basketball football rugby golf which is more of a game than a sport but i think i think i would just basically dominate daniel and andrew in pretty much everything uh daniel is gone andrew is nodding at me he agrees he agrees in my athletic prowess but i think That's where we're going to put a pin in the balloon of this episode. It's been extremely difficult. I carried the show. I'm the Russell Wilson of the show today, covering up the defects of my producer who doesn't know how to use technology and my co-host who has abandoned me and not chosen to host the show at all. So I I will accept my role as the elite athlete and the leader, Russell Wilson, and I'm going to put a pin in the balloon of this episode of The Scrimmage. So, for my trusty co-host, Daniel, the pouty little baby Blazers fan, Hargrove, and my trusty producer, Andrew, maybe not as good as we thought at technology, I have been Justin, the Russell Wilson of The Scrimmage, Damashevitz, Thank you for listening to this episode of The Scrimmage.